0: Mark 11, verse 27 to verse 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, by the end of this message, I want you to know the answer to the most important question in your life. And that is the question of who is your authority? Who is your authority in your life? By authority, I mean, who is calling the shots, right? Who is your influencer? Who is giving you, as you sit here, the right to do what you're doing in your life? Look at all the activities you're up to in your life. Who gives you the right to do that? Who is authorizing them? You see, all of us live under many authorities. We have people and systems that lead or influence the things we do. We have parents, right? Teachers, managers at work, the government, church leaders, scientific experts, celebrity influencers. The list of influence, you know authorities in life is limitless. Even the, 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 the traffic man who ensures that you park in the right place and give you a ticket, he's exercising his authority. The list of authorities in life are infinite. And all of us have some ultimate authority that has a stronger influence on how we live than other authorities. So we all have little authorities, and there's an ultimate authority we look to, right? Everyone here has something or someone that is shaping you more than other authorities in your life. It is a voice you predominantly listen to more than any. Now, only you know what it is. It is what you are, in fact living for. So when I ask who is your authority, you have to ponder what is shaping the decisions you are making. It could be you, it could be other people, it could be ideas, it could be God, for example. So this evening, I want you to ask yourself a question. If people looked at a video of my life, the things I say, the decisions I make, the thoughts that I have, right, all of that was played out, What would they say is my ultimate authority in life? Who would they say is my ultimate authority? And is that authority in my life a giver of life? Or is that authority leading me to my own destruction? I just want you to think about that. If people looked at your life, a video of it, what would they conclude? To help you answer this question, please uh, turn with me there to Mark 11. Uh, Verse 27 to verse 33, because I think here is the answer that this passage will help you come to a view about who the authority of your life is, or at least should be. And there are three things I just want to share from this passage. Uh, The first truth here in front of your outline is that the authority we live under matters. It matters what authority you are living under. It matters who you are out or what your ultimate authority is. Now, it is Tuesday, right? And this is the final week of Jesus' life before he dies on the cross for us. Jesus and his disciples are on the way back to Jerusalem for the third time. And I imagine as they enter Jerusalem, they are bracing themselves for some backlash. Because remember what happened yesterday? Yesterday, Jesus cleared the courts of the Gentiles. He drove out the money changes, He overturned tables. He caused, if you like, ma'am, well, yesterday. And the religious leaders, we are told by Mark, wanted to destroy him. They nearly they wanted to arrest him. But they stopped because Jesus has become so popular. People were captured by his attention, so they paused on it. The whole thing would have, the whole passion week would have ended uh, if they were there on Monday. But they didn't, so Tuesday has arrived. And Jesus comes back uh, without fear of man. He's back prowling around the lowering lines. You just have to admire the courage of our Lord Jesus. He knows there are people in the temple who are trying to kill him. And he's back in the midst of things. And soon the religious mafia spot him, don't they? And they approach him with gusto. Let's read verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Let's just pause there. The the three groups that I mentioned here, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders make up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the official seat of religious power among Jews. Now, these three groups are usually at war with one another, right? They're usually at war with one another. But not today, not today. Today, their motto is, my enemy's enemy is my friend. So they approach Jesus together. Jesus has this effect. He unites people who oppose themselves against himself. <laughs> he, you know, he has that effect. So they have come, they are banded together. Let's look at what they want to ask Jesus in verse 28. And they said to him, pose a question, but what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them. You know, the Sanhedrin have thought long and hard about all that Jesus has been doing since chapter 1 of Mark. And they are trying to summarize, to crystallize what the problem is they have with him. Right? And they have concluded the real issue they have with Jesus is one word. Authority. What right or authority do you, Jesus, have to do have to do what you're doing? Who gave it to you? Now, pause on that question for a minute, because first of all, the, quest, the motive of that question is definitely evil. They are asking him this question in order to destroy Jesus. Whatever answer Jesus gives at this point, it's going to be bad news, right? He will be arrested. If our Lord Jesus says he has come by the authority of God, then they will do what they asked him before right? They asked him for a sign to prove he has come as one sent by God. And they would charge him quickly with blasphemy. If he says the authority comes from some other secular institution, then they would charge him with insurrection as they have charged many in the past. This is a trap, right? And that would be the end of him. But yet, just think about their question. When we think about what 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 is happening in Mark so far, We understand why they're asking this question. If we ignore the motive for a minute, we can see that the question in some degree is a fair question. right? Because the Sanhedrin have seen what Jesus has been doing so far. And they do not expect anyone else to be doing those things. Jesus has been acting like God. He's been acting like he owns everything. He has been forgiving sinners. We we see that in Mark chapter 2. He has been casting out demons effortlessly and the demons have called him the Holy One of Israel. The title for God and Jesus has not corrected the demons. Our Lord Jesus has claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. We saw that in chapter 2. He has called their oral law the Mishnah, traditions of men. And he called them hypocrites and that Dalmanutha in chapter 7, he walked away from them when they couldn't listen to what he was saying. And now, he has come to the sacred temple and effectively claimed it as a landlord by evicting the people there. They have added up to here, as they say, right? With Jesus. You see, to the Sanhedrin, Jesus is like a junior staff who on her first day at work already wants to chair meetings, already is acting like she owns the place, right? That's how they see Jesus. So you can see where they're coming from when you see it from their vantage point. And let us also remember that the Sanhedrin, for all their faults, have a pastoral duty towards the people. It is actually their job to ensure that this new rabbi is not a dull boy. is not trying to fleece the people, right? So they are coming at it from that angle. So yes, their question is motivated in order to destroy Jesus, but it is a legitimate question. And notice that it is a question that Jesus doesn't disagree with. He actually agrees that it's an important question. Look at verse 29. When Jesus responds to them, what does he say? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus accepts the premise of their question, he accepts that all of this is about authority. He accepts that it matters where we get our authority in life, but before he reveals the source of his authority, uh, he has an unexpected question for them. In a sort of rabbinic tradition, verse thirty, he wants to pose his own question. So he set a condition, and you allowed this among the rabbis it was common. A question was usually answered by a question. And Jesus, if you like, brings his own question. Verse thirty, he poses a question. I'll ask you one question, verse 29. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. <laughs> I think they have not seen that one coming. Uh, Jesus has landed a verbal uppercut. That I just, they can't survive now. And as we shall see, John the Baptist is not their favorite topic. We'll come to that in a bit. But crucially, notice what I want us to see at this moment is that Jesus is saying there are only two sources of authority in life. Whether for John or for Jesus, for anyone else, there are only two sources of authority or for you, right? You either live by man's authority, human authority, or you live by divine authority. The Pharisees asked an open-ended question. Jesus has narrowed down the question. He's saying, no, it's not open-ended. You either live live by human authority or you live by divine authority. Jesus is saying the authority we live under under matters. And you can't live both under human authority and divine authority. It's one of the two. We cannot have it both ways. So all of us as we sit here this uh, evening, we must answer that question I began with, isn't it? Who is your ultimate authority in life? You need to give clear to that question. You can't say, it's God and me. Who is calling shots in your marriage? Is your marriage built on human ideas and opinions, or are you seeking to build your marriage on God? Even if you're the only Christian there, are you aspiring to live as a Christian husband or Christian wife? Who is influencing your parenting? Where are your parenting skills coming from? Are they coming from the world or are they coming from God? Are you looking to the world for ideas or are you looking to God, the Bible and the church that God has given you for help? If we, if you looked, if we looked at your bank account, what do you think it would tell us about who controls your life? Who your ultimate authority in your life is? Would you look at your bank account and say, mm, the priority of spending shows world, worldly ideas, worldly things. Nothing really that shows God here. You see, we can look at this question in an intellectual way, but the proof, as Dallas Willard told us, and the late Dallas Willard says, beliefs are the rails upon which our life runs. If, you, if I want to know what you believe, I don't need to ask you the question. I just need to watch a video of your life. If I want to know who your God is, I can watch that. And the video will reveal that to me. So you must ask yourself these questions. Who is your ultimate authority? Is it God or is it human authority? Think about the time you spend. How you are spending your time. Who is giving you the right to spend your time the way you are currently spending it? When you account for every minute you're spending, where is the authority coming from for that minute you're spending? Can you say that authority is derived from yourself or is it derived from God? Who are you accountable to for your time? Is it yourself, to the world, or to God? You must ask yourself that question. you? You need to be honest with yourself because if the authority in your life is not Jesus, then your life is being wasted. And that is our second observation, isn't it? All human authority will ultimately fail. All human authority ultimately fails us. The first point is what? The first point is the authority we live under matters. The second point is that all human authority will ultimately fail us. So let's go back. Jesus has posed the question to the spiritual mafia, right? In verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. The Sanhedrin are stunned as they hear this question. We can picture them, they're sort of huddling together uh, as they try to agree an answer, right? And they have come up with something. Uh, verse 31 to 32 tells us, and they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, you say, hmm, why then did you not believe him? But if we, but shall we say, from men, they were afraid of the people for the old hell that John really was a prophet. They are caught between a rock and a hard place, and rather than say that they what they really believe, which is John died in vain, that's what they really believe, because they turned the blind eye, they let Herod kill him. That's so they live. They live out their beliefs, right? They believe John died for a lie so to speak, right? That's what they believe. But in this case they are now caught between the rock and the hard place, they are worried about things. They decide to lie. Look at verse 33. So they answer Jesus, uh, we do not know, we do not know. We can pause there. What they have done is what the Americans call pleading the fifth amendment. <laughs> All right? I choose not to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me, right? Or in the words of Jennifer Acuri, the friend of our prime minister, I do not want to say anything in case you weaponize my answer against me. You see, answering like that only deepens suspicions that you have something to hide. And of course we know the Sanhedrin have got something to hide. They would, if lying was at the Olympics, I'm sure they would win it. Right? That's how they live. They are living by lies. Now we should note in passing here that the attitude of the Sanhedrin reminds us an important lesson here actually. It reminds us that people reject Jesus. This is important. People reject Jesus not because they do not have enough evidence. They reject Jesus because it is not in their immediate interest. Jesus is a threat to their independence. Following him means losing control, losing the world in some sense, something that they value. The Sanhedrin's behavior here is reminding us that people are often controlled. This is important as well when you you share with Jesus. People are often controlled by their emotions than reasoned argument. Even if they pretend that it's about evidence and reason, and you go there, you amass all the evidence for them, the issue is not about evidence. Most of the time it's about emotions. And as we see here for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, it is about fear. They are afraid of the truth. You need to be aware of this when you share Jesus. That's what I'm just mentioning here. It is important when we're sharing Jesus with other people to get underneath the human and personal reasons for rejecting Jesus. People don't reject Jesus for very good. I mean, we need to have some good scientific evidence and everything. But in my experience, it's personal between them and God. And so you must understand the human opposition. What is it about their lives? What, does, what is the threat they see in Jesus? That's a a side point, isn't it? The main point is that the Sanhedrin's failure here to trouble our Lord Jesus reminds us that all human authority ultimately fails us. They are failed. We do not know. Right? They are failed. The, the, The Sanhedrin are supposed to be humanity at its most wonderful and religious best. These men are the cream of the crop of the Jewish nation. God's chosen people. If the planet was being threatened with mass extinction, these are the sort of people who would want to save at this time and put them on a spaceship to Mars, right? They are not misguided anarchists, you know, followers of Greta Thunberg or somebody like that. These are not deranged jihadists knifing people around. No, these are PhD orders in theology. They have understood the whole book of the Lord. They have rememorized the first five books, committed it to memory, they are the best and brightest, armed with the best religious knowledge and general knowledge of the times. And they have come face to face with Jesus and they have been found wanting. Their human plotting and consultation have come. This has been undone by one question from the Lord of glory. Jesus is that much of a genius. He's that clever. He has no rivals. His authority in anything has no comparison. And he has exposed here that all human authority represented by these guys ultimately fails us. And it's a lesson for us, isn't it? That we must not look to ourselves or any human authority. That too, whatever we touch, whatever we depend on, it will fail us. You're depending on your job, it will fail you. You're depending on your wife, she will fail you. You're depending on your own life, it will fail you at death. All authorities will in on will fail us. You know, we are often told, aren't we? trust the experts. We must trust the experts on Brexit. We must trust the experts on climate change. We must trust the experts on issues of gender. And the list goes on and on and on and on. You must be on the right side of history because that's where the experts are, at, right? Now, of course, we need people who spend time to study things. We need experts in life. After all, even in the church, we have people who are gifted for certain things. The Holy Spirit pours out His Spirit on people in the church and makes them spiritual experts in that area. Perhaps it's encouragement, perhaps in teaching of the Word of God. So as believers, we're not against experts per se. The Bible isn't against that. But what we're seeing here, what the Bible is showing us is that all trust in human experts, whether it's a pastor or it's the prime minister, ultimately fails us. Because human beings are finite and changing creatures. You know, the history of the world is one form of human authority giving way to another. Empires rise and fall.ing That's the hand of history. New ideas come, previous ones are destroyed. That's, that's human history. What we once considered an authority in a very short space of time, can be found to be very limited indeed. This means that there is no human authority that has an ultimate, transcendental claim on our lives because all of this will never last forever. This truth reminds us, doesn't it as well, we must not allow our feelings, our thoughts, human precepts, human traditions to rule the way we live. Do not live by how you feel. Do not live by your system of thoughts. Even a complex theological system. Do not live by any human precepts. Do not hold your faith based on traditions. All of those human ideas that things that originate from us no matter how useful they may be, we will ultimately fail you. In. in the end, if you are living like that, if you only do change based on your feelings on the day, if you only share the gospel because you've come up with a good evangelistic tactics, if you only feed the poor because the economy is in a downturn and you feel you need to help, if these things are driven by human understanding, checking the weather of the time before you act, They are human in nature, and they will ultimately fail you. If you're building a house on sand, it will fail you. There is only one true authority in life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our final observation briefly here. The first is that the first truth, isn't it, is the authority we live under matters. The second truth we have seen is that all human authority will ultimately fail us. But here's the good news. Jesus is greater than all authority. You know, the Sanhedrin had had, had a great chess opening, right? Uh, It was great. I love playing chess and and I can see how they started here. That was a good opening move at Jesus. It it would have wrong-footed him greatly. But they blundered in the middle game, as Jesus strategically outplays them. And now our Lord Jesus delivers the checkmate, doesn't he? Let's read verse 33. When they answered Jesus, they answered Jesus, we do not know, what does Jesus say? And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We can spend loads of time about that, that you, know, you don't know anyone answers if you're doing the work of the Lord, so to speak. But what I want to focus on here is that we must not miss the repetition of "I, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is saying that He derives authority not from anywhere else, but from I, from within Himself. If you like, Jesus is God the Son with authority on earth to forgive sins? He has authority to heal the sick. He has authority to raise the dead, drive out demons, teach and do whatever he likes. The Lord does whatever he pleases. The temple is his, so he can drive people out. The garrisons is his, so when he walks, the demons take notice. And they bow down and they cry, what do you want without Jesus? The only one of Israel. And this is the point of Jesus' questions about the baptism. Let's go back to verse 30. We skipped, we, we just briefly glanced it. Verse 30, the question Jesus asked. Do you remember the question Jesus asked? Pay careful attention to the question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Have you noticed, or did you notice, the question is not about John the Baptist? Even though the Pharisees took it to be about that. It is about the baptism of John. Why is that? Because Jesus' question is in fact also the answer. Jesus did not use this sort of like a diversionary tactic or a clever debating to throw them off the scent, as it were. No, he saying, if they want the truth, they should revisit the baptism of John. And when they revisit the baptism of John, what will they find? They will see Jesus being baptized by John. They will see the heavens are torn open. They will see God the Spirit descend on God the Son. They will see the Father, they will hear the Father speak. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, the baptism of John was the event that inaugurated before the world the authority of Jesus. That's what we learned like 80 sermons back. That event, it revealed that Jesus is God coming to save us. He's identifying with us. And Jesus is saying, if you want to understand me, you understand my authority, go back to my baptism. Look at the baptism of John. See me being baptized. Jesus is saying, my authority is greater than all authorities because I am God dressed in flesh coming to reign. This is why I am doing what I do, I derive authority from myself because I am the son of the father what this means beloved is that to be part of the kingdom of God we have to surrender to Jesus as the ultimate authority in our lives there can be no rescue from sin without true surrender to Jesus what is sin beloved what is sin The Bible, every page of the Bible gives us a definition of sin. And the definition of sin we now have in front of us here is very simple. Sin is refusing the full authority of Jesus over your life. Jesus is saying, I have a right. Jesus is saying, that is essentially what sin is. Sin is them refusing Him. Sin is saying, I have a right to live the way I want. I call the shots in my life, not God. On the big questions, I call the shorts. On the small questions, I call the shorts. That's sin. Sin is saying, I am in control of my life. I am whatever I am. Or if you are m M&M, and I am whatever you say I am. Right? There will be no one in God's kingdom who lives like that. There will be no one who lives for themselves. Because Jesus has come, listen to me carefully, Jesus has come to restore The kingdom's power and authority Over all human life He has come to take back control Not that he ever lost control But that the kingdom is now advancing And drawing sinners to himself Now remember beloved Why Mark has written this gospel Why has he written it? It is a pamphlet for hard times Followers of Jesus are suffering in Rome. They have come under terrible persecution under the Emperor Nero. They are feeling beleaguered, shaken. They are outnumbered. They are looking at a world around them that is anti-Christian. And now they read the words of Jesus here, don't they? That he, They can see for themselves that Jesus draws authority from himself. They see that Jesus is greater than all authority. And what is their reaction, beloved, to all of this? They are overjoyed, aren't they? They must be. I can picture their tears of joy. I can see them in the catacombs as they are hiding from Nero, overcome with a deep sense of the weightiness of Jesus. Jesus is heavy. He's full of glory. He's full of authority. And I suspect as they read these words, in the midst of so much suffering, they are bowing down in worship as they think of their beloved Jesus who did not spare his own life but gave it up for them. They knew Jesus is worth the suffering because to him alone belong glory, honor, and authority. He is far above all rule, all powers. All authorities that have ever existed that exist and will exist. Visible and invisible. Whether rulers or thrones or dominions, all things were created by him and for him. They must be worshipping. And that should be our first reaction. If you're a follower of Jesus, the sopa of Jesus is your Lord and King. Worship. There's no other response. Worship. And then it should lead you to ask the question, shouldn't it? A fundamental question that you must. Ask and answer before you leave this place are you growing in surrendering to the authority of Jesus I word that carefully are you growing in surrendering to the authority of Jesus or are you growing in surrendering to human authority it's a growth, it's a negative growth Do the percentages in negative? Which growth are you experiencing at the moment? We are never static in our Christian walk. If you're truly converted, that is. You are either growing in surrendering to him or you are growing in living for the world. What is your trajectory? Is Jesus increasingly having authority over your family now than he did a couple of weeks back? A month back. Or is the world more shaping your ideas? Is Jesus increasingly having authority over your work than he's ever done? Or is the world shaping your ideas, the way you work? Is Jesus increasingly great over your relationships, other relationships? We talked about forgiveness this morning. Are you growing in forgiving? Or are you growing in bitterness? Because, beloved, if you're not able to see growth in surrendering more to Jesus, that's the of a Christian life, then you need to ask yourself, at some point, you must ask yourself a fundamental question. Is Jesus my ultimate authority or not? I said that thing a couple of weeks back. Beloved, the days of childish play in the faith is over. We must decide, do we believe the scriptures or we don't? All of us have to ask that question for ourselves. We are either believers or we are not. And we must ask ourselves, I must ask myself every day, am I growing in the faith? I say childish play because of course we have been with Christ for so many times and Paul reminds us that the child she wears must be left behind now. Because we are growing, we? If we are really growing. Because beloved, if you are what you have always been, you are not a true Christian. A true Christian is a new creation fashioned in the image of Jesus. So examine yourself and do not end there. Abandon living for the world. Come to him in total repentance. Don't be like the Pharisees, looking around, checking the time, seeing how people are looking at them, how they are deciding. No, no, no. Don't look at the world. Look at Christ. Because even now, our Lord Jesus, has his loving hands, powerfully stretched out for you. He's waiting for you to surrender to him. To live for him alone. To come and live under his authority. And if you do that, if you surrender afresh, well, you can say Jesus is, if you can ask that question, who is my authority, you can say, Jesus is my authority and I'm growing in surrendering to him. That way, well, you're glory bound. You do belong to him. But if you can't, in your heart of hearts, say Jesus is my authority, then repent. Come afresh to him. I pray that all of us leave this building with that confidence to say, I know this Jesus. He's not only my God, he's the authority in my life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you are God and there is no other. We thank you that Jesus is the ultimate authority. All other authorities are merely counterfeits. They are merely plagiarizing the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord Jesus, that each and every person here would have true surrender to Christ. We do pray for the young children among us, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would grow up trusting Christ as the only authority. We pray that we'll be a church that is looking not to the world, not to the worldly ideas, but is looking only to Christ and Christ alone.